My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 247. Jumping into 2019 feet first. My name is Caleb Hegg. And my name's Rob Vanoff, and I'm trying to learn how to interact with uh, this new intro we have. <laughs> Man, there's been a lot going on. There's just been so happy, much going happy- on. Someone sent me an email. Happy Gregorian New Year. Yes, exactly. There's been just so much going on. We've we've been off for a week. We took a, an impromptu week off last week. Um, and sorry about that to our listeners. But, uh, you know, it was needed. We had a, a good time taking a week off. But there's been a lot going on. And uh, so let me get a couple of things out of the way right away. You know, I have a dear... Um, <laughs> Uh, I have a dear. Sorry, I'm I'm distracted. I have a dear friend uh, here in in Tacoma, uh, originally from Ohio, and I saw him in the in the Costco. My my wife and I say that Costco is the vortex, where everyone sees everyone else. I'll see people that I haven't seen since I was you know five years old in Costco. Anyway, so I see uh, this brother in the Lord, and he said, "Hey, I've been listening to your show, and you said something about a show that you and your wife are doing." But I can't find it anywhere. Now, this is all true. And the reason why is because we haven't launched yet. Uh, the uh, The new show that my wife and I are going to do together is we're doing it uh, from our house. So that's going to be different. Uh, we actually cleared out a, uh, a room specifically to, well, th- it's going to be a multi-purpose room. But that's one of the things that we're going to do in that room. Um, and the show is going to be called Growing in Messiah. And we have all sorts of different things planned. It's not just going to be a show. We're going to do uh, writing and, and blogging and all sorts of things as well. Going to get the kids into it, all that kind of stuff. We have not launched a site yet. And uh, so we were waiting for a couple of things to come through. They didn't come through. And so we're, we're making adjustments. It's just fine. We're going to have a site up, uh, some form of a site, probably within the next two weeks. And then we will probably launch, I'm going to guess now, don't quote me on this, but I'm going to guess we're going to launch sometime in February, in the beginning of February. Now, uh, we'll we'll actually make a solid launch date here in the uh, in the coming weeks. So keep your ears tuned for that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and people see this is how well our listeners know me. Uh, Adam in the chat room says, "Is Steve's room not available anymore?" No, we've 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 switched Steve's room to a different room. So uh, Steve's room is still Steve's room. It's just this is inside jokes. I apologize, everyone. Anyway, okay. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes open for that. How's it going, man? How you doing? Going Rob? well. What have you been up to? Did you guys have, now let's see here. Did you do anything for the Gregorian Cold. New Year? I made, yeah, I, I was like, I want to cook. So I went and got a bunch of jalapeno peppers and I made poppers. Yeah, you did. And because the majority of my family's dairy free. So I, I had to use dairy-free cream cheese. And what you do is you make, this, you make this goo. You, so I had to slice all these jalapeno peppers. You clean out all the seeds. Right, right, right. And then you make this goo that's got cream cheese and green onion and other good stuff in there. I would have assumed you, would, you could have used something like almonds instead of cream cheese. But keep going. Well, anyway, and then, and then we had this you know turkey bacon we use. And then oh. you wrap... You wrap Bacon's these in turkey now. bacon and then you put a toothpick through. So this very labor intensive. And I had two big cookie sheets full of these, you know, aluminum foil, two big cookie sheets. And then you get a brush and you brush barbecue sauce on them. Oh, there you go. Yes. And then you bake them and you have to bake them. And then I also made, first time I ever tried, <laughs> I made chicken wings. 
you and? know so we got a chicken and pieces like drumsticks and wings and i got i think it was frank's original plus all sorts of stuff you add and you make this goo so everybody liked it but it was a little bit on the it was a sodium heavy <laughs> uh kind of meal well it wasn't meal it was all day kind of snacks but it was good so I, I was in bed by, I think, 1030. <laughs> oh, me too. I woke up only at midnight because of the neighbors had neighbors, not right next to us, but the neighborhood, serious fireworks going off like boom, boom, like loud stuff that is illegal. So I don't know how um, if the cops ever went to the house or whatever, but. Okay, so we crazy. we got so much to talk about. Let's jump in. Uh, the first thing that we need to talk about is this. First of all, our uh, our executive producerships are now up. So if you would like to be a executive producer of this show, have your name listed in the credits and uh, get a very cool uh, winter quarter producer cup, then go to our website. You can find it on torresource.com. Hover over media. That's another thing. Tor Resource Radio went away. Um, I don't know if anyone's noticed. One person has. I've gotten one email. Uh, uh, Tory Source Radio went away, uh, which is unfortunate. I'm not. I mean, I'm not. Say, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, but we're going to try to supplement with other with podcasts and whatnot. Um, with that said, you can go to torresource.com, hover over media, go to Messiah Matters, and then um, you should be able to find a pop-out comes out, producership, um, and that's where you do that. You can also become a uh, supporter of the show for as little as $5 a month and have access to Messiah Matters More, and you get that with a producership as well. Messiah Matters More is a, uh, a hidden and secret. It's top secret. It's a top secret web page where we record extra content for our listeners and uh, they can go in and listen to extra content and uh, pre-release items and stuff like that. And so uh, if you'd like to have access to that, you can do so for as little as $5 a month by becoming a Messiah Matter supporter. You can find that on our website as well. Um, and of course, you can become part of this conversation. Do so by calling our comment line at 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You won't hear, uh, you won't talk to any of us. You'll just uh, get an answering machine. And then also you can give us an email, cheg at torresource.com. It's cheg at torresource.com. And of course, this show is produced and uh, and made possible by torresource.com. And uh, yeah, so I think that's... Question that's on this. Yeah. If you compare, just looking back over the last five years we're in our sixth year now which That's is right. crazy and we didn't always have this the line where you people could just record a message obviously right but, but generally i want what's what's your gut kind of feeling caleb when if i say compared to email feedback and right. recorded message feedback where in which domain do we get more likely to get critical or even negative feedback email for sure uh, but but the most of it uh hang on i'm trying to so have we ever because the reason i ask because and that fits with kind of my memory i don't remember ever getting a voicemail of course you listen to them all i don't hear them all where there was someone that had a tone of that we've had in email so in terms of negative uh, you're steering me right to where i want to go by the way this is good because we i, I actually grabbed the comments off of YouTube. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, so far, our comment line has been nothing but accolades and good things for the most part. There's been a couple of there's been a couple of people who have who have called and said I disagree with this or I think you were wrong here. And uh, but but uh, we love those kind of things. Anyway, you can you can call and and uh, and leave any kind of message you'd like. Yeah, to. exactly. Yeah, we. Yeah. Um, but this uh, this was left on one of our so. And actually, we've gotten we got some emails this morning too. Uh, I got some emails this morning from someone who was saying that they saw one of our videos on two house theology and that we were way off. That's not what two house theology is. And granted, I will I will grant this. I think this is important to note. 
do osteology. When I was growing up in the 90s, you know, uh, I, I was in my teens in the 90s and we were going to uh, Messianic and Hebrew Roots conferences and whatnot. Bacha Wooten was uh, championing the two house movement and Bacha Wooten uh, was writing books and uh, that flavor of, of two house theology is different, I believe. I believe it's different than what two-house theology is today. So when we say two-house theology today, the people who are my age who didn't grow up in the movement, they're coming in and they see two-house theology as something totally different than what Bacha Wooten um, was, was pushing in the 90s. Um, now, I'm not putting down Bacha Wooten. I'm just saying it's, it's a different flavor of two-house theology. Most of what Torah Resource has, has uh, written about is the flavor that was out in the 90s. It's not the new the new uh, reformed two-house theology. So um, but uh, so this was on one of our videos that we did about two-house theology. And, and it used to be that when Rob and I talked about two-house theology, what we were talking about was the 1990s Bacha Wooten flavor of, of two-house theology, which did have to do with bloodline. Okay? Now, it might not today, but, but that's what it did back then. Um, should I read any of this? Yeah, so you can. Okay, yeah, so this is the comment. They say, uh, man, show me the doll where two house believers hurt you. Show me on the doll. where, where What does uh, doll mean? It's like, you know, the voodoo dolls where you like push something in and it's, it's supposed to hurt somebody. I don't know. Or maybe uh, maybe, oh, or maybe oh. like one of the, the doctor dolls, like where does it hurt? You know, and then you point. Anyway, if you all cut the out the portions of your ministry where you trash talk everyone else, I think all of your videos would probably be about five minutes long. Okay, well, I would suggest that you haven't listened to many of our videos then. And that maybe was the tone before. Um, so, okay, what's the difference? Let, let's just talk about, I, I think there are similarities and differences. Okay. Just in, in this guy's, what you've shared. So like, in other words, like you guys. Oh, wait, hang on just a sec. Nisa says, it's the doll used in sexual assault cases at court. Okay, keep going. Uh why are you guys so why are, to use language trigger why are you so triggered um if you guys you guys are trash talking all these other ministries if you subtract your trash talking you'd only be about five minutes long okay let's just take that kind of attitude how is that different and how is it similar to what we do with our show and this is a talk show right we talk about right. things right that's the point we talk about questions and things we encounter on the internet primarily and sometimes it's in a, a blog or a video someone has posted and we're engaging with our unique skill set and our limited experience and limited knowledge um, with these things that we've deemed important and uh, so someone comes and says oh that what Rob and Caleb are doing that's trash talking and boy, they really don't have anything to say other than, you know, only five minutes worth of stuff that's not trash talking. Okay, so how is our voice, what he's calling trash talking, uh, our being critical of something that's on the internet and talking about it, different than his email tell, being critical of what we do? So one way is the different is that he's, he could say, well, I emailed him privately. <laughs> right. He didn't though. Whereas this is our, this is when we're not being private about it, we're just being open because internet is an open forum, and we're at, we're actually excited about that fact because right. we think that both good ideas and bad ideas need the full light of day. Sure, uh, because a bad idea, when fully investigated uh, with the full light, will be exposed, and we're not ashamed of that. So. Um, I think, but, but there's, but okay, there's a, and this is, I think, I, like, I think it's kind of, uh, we, we, went, we went back and forth a little bit and, and I basically said, and my final uh, response then was this, this show is a very small part of our ministry and it is for those who don't know Torah resource and TorahResource.com. This, this show started as a, I mean, we honestly never thought that this was going to be any, any part of Torah resource anyway. We just thought it was kind of something fun to do. Now, it has become a larger part because people have found Torah resource and found us on the internet, which is great. And we're, we're happy that the Lord has used it. Um, so that's fine. Um, but in general, 
Um, I'm sorry, my computer's freaking out. In general, this this show is a very, very small part of what we do. So I said, we have a school that averages 60 students per quarter. We have produced over 1,300 hours of lectures on Bible and uh, thousands of pages on the Bible and thousands of pages of commentaries and books. We have traveled and spoken all around the world. And our staff has hosted numerous conferences. So the point is, is okay, you can think whatever you want about this talk show which what you know james white get the, gets these kind of comments a lot as well and i'm not comparing ourselves to james white please don't hear me say that james right, white right, is, a, right. is a wonderful apologist um, but the point the point is is that you know anytime that you're going to challenge theology challenge doctrine and challenge uh, other people's view of the bible you're going to have pushback that's basically all there is to it um okay so well, yeah i mean you're <laughs> Otherwise, are we supposed to not stand up for anything? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, the guy says you guys are, you guys are just trash talking. And if you subtract the trash, trash talking, you'd only have five minutes of content. You're not really serving the body of Messiah. Okay, that person's making a stand. Right. He's making a claims. Right. About about what other people are doing, and he's taking a stand and he's expressing that, and he has a full right to do that. It's neither. It frankly, it's neither here nor there for me. You know, what he thinks about our show. So, I, I, does that sound callous for me to, to say that? No. I frankly, I you know, he's welcome to watch. He's welcome to change it to, you know, <laughs> there's there's plenty of content on, on YouTube or whatever. <laughs> he can shift the channel and see what else is on. You know, that's my view. Okay. Speaking of shifting the channel, check this out. So I went to, so... Many people might not know this about me. However, I've mentioned it on the show uh, multiple times. Um, my family and I personally, uh, ha well, about three weeks out of the out of the month, we will go to a various church in the neighborhood, in our community, in Tacoma. And there's plenty, and I do mean plenty, to um, to choose from. And two weeks ago. Actually, I got two two different experiences. Two weeks ago, I went to an Episcopal church. It was the first time I'd ever been to an Episcopal church. It was uh, I was out of my comfort zone and out of my element, and it was very interesting. And I learned a lot about the Episcopal uh, American Episcopal Church and some of the uh, some of the stances that they've taken and why they've taken them. I was blessed to be able to sit and. Uh, talk to one of their leaders and or the I, I guess what would he be called a priest or something um, and uh, and the reason I bring it up it, actually he was very nice he gave me a, he gave me a book so anyone who gives me books I'm, I'm usually pretty down <laughs> down with um, but here was here's the reason I bring up the Episcopal Church and then we'll they'll mo we'll move to the other church that I went to the Episcopal Church now I know that they fall somewhere in between Catholicism and, and, Pro, and Catholicism and Protestantism. Man, I can't talk today. It's been too long. We've been we've been away for too long. Um, well, does it, it it does Episcopal? I'm showing my ignorance here. Does Episcopal the Episcopal Church in America have its roots in the Church of England? Am yes, I right? Yes. In in an Anglican kind of confession. Or are they, is there a shared history there? So yeah. my wife would be able to tell you better because she... I, I, uh, I'm ignorant on this, so... Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they, it was a pull away from Catholicism and then a pull away from Protestantism back towards Catholicism, from what I understand. Anyway, the, the, so as I'm sitting there and, you know, uh, the, the, the pastor or whatever, the priest or whatever... He said, "Oh, you know, we're we're so we're so happy that you're here, and and uh, we we'd invite you to um, to join us in communion." Now, everyone knows that I am. Uh, this is my my focus of study, uh, and that uh, that I the Eucharist is something that I've uh, I'm steeped in in terms of of my my studies, and so I started thinking. Okay, well, I don't think that the communion was something that. Yeshua spoke against or like commanded us to do right. He, he didn't command us to, to uh, do a weekly Eucharist or anything like that. Now, I know I know before you start sending the emails, I already know everybody's stance. I got just bombarded with emails the last time I made that that claim. I don't believe that Yeshua instituted uh, something new. Uh, that is the Eucharist. Um, anyway, that being the case, I thought, OK, so um, 
even from a religious standpoint, this ceremony is not necessarily something that, that uh, you know, they're getting wrong in terms of Yeshua said do this and they're doing it r- wrong. It's just a, honestly, it's kind of a man-made thing. Then I started thinking, okay, well, is it the table, like you can't, you can't be a part of God's table and the table of demons. I'm paraphrasing, right? The Lord's table and the table of, yeah. yeah. Lord's table and the table of demons. And so I thought, well, okay, um, I don't know a lot about these people, you know, this particular branch of, of, uh, of Christianity. Um, and so all these thoughts are going through my head. And, and ultimately, I ended up taking communion with them. I, I, and I was happy to do so uh, in that. I, but it was interesting to have this whole, uh, like, this whole debate with myself as I'm sitting in the pews. <clears throat> ultimately, I figured these people uh, claim to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. They might have some things wrong, but I'm happy to, uh, you know, show my solidarity with people who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, even though we may have differences. Now, I'm sure that we'll probably get uh, plenty of plenty of <laughs> emails about the fact that I uh, took communion at an Episcopal church. But um, it was it was very it was very interesting, and it was very different than what I was used to, even in communion. I've taken communion with a lot of different communities. So then, last week, I went to a different church. I won't name the church because I, I was happy to be there, and it was a church that I've, uh, I know people who go there and, and whatnot. They had a, a motto, and it was, uh, their motto was, with Christ, like Christ. In other words, we live with Christ, and we live like Christ. And this really, like, especially with my my experience at the Episcopal Church the week before, it really got me thinking, how many churches in America actually look at, at what Yeshua was like? Like Christ. Now, I understand that their meaning is probably more of a love, we love each other, right? Like, uh, you know, we, we, we're one in the body, those kind of things. But to actually live like Christ, do, do I do that? You know, like, I, I admit that even though I'm, I'm des- definitely trying to keep a, a life of Torah and I'm, I'm trying to follow after the Messiah as best I can, what did his life look like? Do we actually live like Christ? What do you think? That's a good... I like the motto. Oh, I, I mean, love I, the motto. Because I interpret it, but, but I, what I hear you say, what I hear you saying is, we. I mean, is this different than... I mean, if I if I said that to the Mormons that visited or the Jehovah's Witnesses, would they go, "Oh yeah"? Like, is this one of those things that's so vague that it it could have currency across different denominations or even religions? If we want to say Mormonism is a different religion, um, and so, but it's but it's like a penny. In other words, it's they're on the ground and and no, you know, what can you get for a penny kind of thing. Um, because it has no substantive value. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to hang out there and you'd have to um, spend, you know, spend life in that community, you know, with the people in that community and uh, be part, you know, submit to the leadership structure and, and, and trust that there's a shepherding of life through the ups and downs and, and, you know, the victories and defeats, et cetera, um, that helps kind of shape out what this with and like translates to with the you know boots on the ground um and so but on the general i think it's brilliant in terms of marketing and like a slogan i think that's really cool well to to me to me what what really struck me is you know i'm going through through i'm in the book of luke right now is one of the one of the places i'm reading in the bible and the amount of times that yeshua continues to, to go back to torah right what must i do to be saved Keep the commandments. I've I've kept the commandments. Okay, and then he lists the last, you know, five right commandments. And then, well, in Luke it's only four, but anyway, um, mm-hmm. he says I've done all that. Right, this is the rich young ruler. He says, okay, go sell all your stuff. But the first place he takes him is Torah. And so when I'm sit like I'm sitting I'm sitting in this one church. I'm I'm thinking about their motto, with Christ like Christ, love it. But then I'm thinking, okay, this church, and then you look at like the Episcopal Church. I don't think that Christ's life or his religiosity looked anything like, 
you know, the Episcopal Church in terms of their ceremony. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that his experience in the synagogue was in the first century was in my opinion, most likely a, uh, a, a, a quite a uh, <laughs> divergent look from, from what the Episcopal Church looks well, like. Here, but here, exactly. Well, here's what they could say. You could say, well, as was his custom, Yeshua went into the synagogue, you know, and this is what the apostles did. Right. You know, Paul, you know, after the reading of the Torah and the prophets, right? Do you think, do and you then think... there's co- hope and discussion. What they could say is, oh, that's not, that's not what we mean by like. Right. And I think that's where they're coming from. They're going to say, that's not what we mean. Right. We don't mean like, we don't mean going to a, to a community gathering on a Shabbat. We don't mean reading the Torah and the prophets um, and, and uh, rehearsing the, the feasts of Israel or however language they want, you know, in terms of identity with the grand story of the promises, you know, from creation on. Um, as seeing that as as uh, crucial to our uh, who we are and our purpose and our reason for redemption, right. the reason why we're to be. So, I could see that that's where you're going to start have that fissure in ideological in ideological kind of. But the Torah was conception. such a sh- But the Torah observance, preaching it, believing it, living it seems to be the central focus of Yeshua's life. Now I'm not the interesting thing is is that as I sat in the in both of the churches I thought to myself, you know, these people they love, you know, they're brothers and sisters, they have a totally different understanding than I do, but they, you know, they're trying, they love the Lord, they're trying to live out faith the way that they know, you know, the way they've been taught. So I mean, there's a lot of Torah in that in and of itself, loving your neighbor as yourself, all these things. Yet there's other parts that seem to be left by the wayside. It's it's just an interesting dichotomy. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we've we've talked for quite a long time and we haven't even hit a topic yet. Let's go to it. This is a this is an interesting one because we get emails about this all the time. So I think this should take some time. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, but we've received several emails in the past couple of weeks about this. Um, and this one. Um, well, okay, she says, last week, and this was, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, she's talking about, last week Rob was talking about a clip he watched where a JW woman was knocking on doors and called on a black Israelite, I think. Anyway, uh, you spoke rather sarcastically that a JW woman is going to try and tell a black Israelite who the real Israel is. I would love for you and Rob to do a detailed with scripture explanation on that. I am not a replacement theologist. Uh, uh, I'm not a replacement theologian or the, don't believe in replacement theology is what I think she's trying to say person, but by any means. But when I read in the scripture, Romans 2.29, I think that all who are born again with a circumcision, uh, circumcised heart is Israel. Question mark, question mark, question mark. This is a really good question. And the reason why is because there's so much confusion on what's happening in scripture and where this is all coming from. You know, I... I don't know if I had that link. I, um, I don't even know how I would find the link to that video. And that's, that's on me. That's my bad. Um, I can remember what it looks like. I've got that visual kind of memory, but in terms of being able to find the link. Um, well, the, uh, the, but I don't remember. I, I mean, I remember vaguely talking about it. What was the, what was the context again of our discussion well, I, I'm, I'm happy to try to answer this question i'm just need to kind of reorient so, my brain. so for first of all uh she <clears throat> she went on and said that uh, she didn't expect us to speak on black israelism and one of the reasons that i'm i'm so adamant to not speak about black israelism is simply because i think that that argument takes it back is is trying to once again bring race and bloodline into an argument that where paul and the apostles are trying to take race and bloodline out of the gotcha, argument. Gotcha. Well, here, it, it, one thing we can do, because the email mentions Romans 2.29. Yeah, so I have it here. Let's read it real did quick. Did you say this is a, a man or a woman? Maybe you did. It is a woman, yep. Yeah. A woman. Okay, so she cites Romans 2.29. I think that's a great place to start, and hopefully in our discussion we can touch on some of the things she was hoping that we would unpack. 
Yes. Okay. So Romans 2.29, I'll read out of the ESV. It says, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Right. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so I think that many people know uh, that Rob and I agree on the idea that that uh, circumcision in some places can be a shorthand for conversion. In other words, there there was this conversion. Th- there was this idea that one had to convert to individual sex within the first century to become <clears throat> one of us. And that doesn't mean blanket. Now you're a Jew and you're accepted in all uh, right. in all sex. No, it was each sex. So, for instance, if you were a Pharisee and you wanted to go and become part of the Qumran sect, from what we can tell within the Dead Sea Scrolls. You went, you were part of that community for two years. You weren't able to eat with them or anything until after that two years was up. Then you became part of the, the community. And that this had to do with uh, basically a baptism or an immersion into that sect. And if you were Gentile and weren't circumcised, uh, you were circumcised. This is really good. Just a footnote. This is living with and like. In other words, if I wanted to become part of the Qumran community, I would have to live with them and like them. And it's going to be a process of time through which I experience this transformation of living life with a certain set of habits to now having my life defined by a very specific regimen of habits uh, pertaining to the spiritual ideology of, of that community. So you could say, what does it mean to live with you know, the Essenes and like the Essenes or with the Yahad and like the Yahad? Um, this the reason I just wanted to put a footnote on that is because there's time involved. And even the community itself recognized that it takes time for people to learn and be learn to behave and think of the world in a new way. Right. And so back to, this is just a ping back to this, like Jesus with Jesus or whatever. Uh, anyway. So, um, <clears throat> there's several things going on here. And I, if I would have been uh, more intelligent, I would have uh, gotten my fa- opened my father's commentary on Romans, which is a fantastic resource, by the way, if you, uh, if you ever are going to go through Romans, I highly, highly recommend you pick up my father's commentary on the book of Romans. Um, I use it pretty much on a daily basis. I use his, either his Romans commentary or his Hebrews commentary and not because he's my father, but they are just fantastic resources. And he goes verse by verse. So if you have a specific question about a specific verse, you can open up to in his commentary to that specific verse and read his commentary on that specific verse. Um, so th- they're very beneficial. Anyway, um, I did not do that with this, but I noticed this is some of the my first uh, things that I noticed. He talks about circumcision not as outward but inward. Isaiah talks about this too, right? Even Even Moses talks about this, is that, um, he will give you a heart of flesh, and, and God will be the one who circumcises the heart. Um, and and Isaiah talks about this too, right? It, right? Even in Isaiah one, he says, "Stop bringing your stinking sacrifices; they're a stench in my nostrils." Well, why? Those were those were commands. In, in other words, God commands Israel to do something, and then when they do it, He says, "Stop doing it." Why would He do that? Well, the answer is because unless you do it with a with the right heart, it's worthless. All of you know, all of your your good deeds are like filthy rags before me. Uh, so on and so forth. Okay, so the point is, is that circumcision, that is, you can't gain salvation, you can't gain any status with God by converting to any sect of Judaism or or any conversion at all. The point is, is that God circumcises the heart and he does it, uh, He, I mean, he does it for Gentiles just like he does it for Jews, right? Abraham was a Gentile who uh, had a circumcised heart and was one who was part of the covenant. So this, I think this is his point, is that doesn't matter what your skin says it doesn't matter any of this you if your heart isn't right you've missed it so i want to move now to there's a couple of different things and let me well wait a minute i are we ahead. moving on from romans 229 go for it i want you to go oh okay because i was i was hoping i could talk about it of course you can uh, um well <laughs> i don't i know we we only have so much time no, you're fine. um so romans 229 it sounded if I remember the email, it sounded like she uh, was um, entertaining the idea that Paul means whoever's heart is circumcised becomes a Jew. I, I that's the and so therefore, if well, we my need to heart talk- is circumcised, therefore I'm a Jew. In other words, so he is a true he is a Jew who is one inwardly, so that 
Jewish identity is an inward um, reality that is worked on the by the Holy Spirit by the circumcision of the heart. And while that's a, a very lovely interpretation, I don't think that's at all what Paul has in mind. Paul is is there's a little bit of wordplay here on the name Yehuda, which means praise, like we learn right, and we learn that from Genesis. Um, who's who received praise from men or, or from God rather than from men. And he's trying to, this section here in Romans two is addressing people who are in fact, physical stock of Abraham, Isaac right. and Jacob. They are Jews in the political religious sense, but they are not behaving. They, um, according to who Abraham, the faith of Abraham. And so he's, that's his target. And he's trying to explain to them that, that if their external circumcision uh, might look good to the community and their observance of Shabbat might look good to the community and their, their, you know, support of, of the poor, et cetera, might What's look on good the to outside, the community. In other words. But if the inside right. is not repentant, uh, of genuinely uh, repentant and recognition of the need for God's grace, that one is a sinner and and the reason hearts don't see that is because they think that they've self-righteous right they justify themselves and see sin everywhere else in the world but in their own heart um that that person needs circumcision of the heart and and that would be the ideal jew of the scriptures that doesn't mean that everybody whose heart is circumcised also becomes a Jew. Paul's specifically talking about hypocrisy among Jews. Right. In, in that day and age. Right. So um, just to clarify, it sounded like she might take uh, uh, the lady who wrote the email might take that in a different way than I take it. So, But I I would just look at the context and, and I, I believe that the context is very much on the side of, of my approach to this. Um, and there is that play on word. There, there's definitely a play on the concept of uh, that Paul understands that the word Jew, Eudaios, is it means praise, and that's why he says it's, he talks about because it has to do with praise. And this is we know this from from the end of Genesis, you know, where Jacob is in Israel and he's uh, or in Egypt, and he's blessing all the the sons, and he talks about uh, uh, Judah, Yehuda. And it talks about the word, the word praise is there and it's, there's a word play. And, and this is not unique to, to this situation. He does the same thing in Romans four, where Paul does, where he, he shows that Avraham right. means the father of multitude of nations, right? right. This is no different than Yeshua, you know, we call him Yeshua for his, will save his people from their sins. Or I call you Peter because you are a rock like right. Kepha or, and on this cave uh, on this rock, right? Or, uh, so this kind of thing is not new to us, right? Associating names with meaning. It's, it's throughout the Tanakh. So um, anyway, that those are some of the key things I wanted to at least be able to point out just to help uh, clarify some differentiation between what it's, the tone of what I heard her email versus what I'm thinking it's saying there. One of the comments that we received basically said that I, that I disagree with my father because my father w- doesn't doesn't agree with what I'm saying. And, and, uh, so let, let's in what, uh, in what, so one of the things that I've said is that a person who attaches themselves to Yeshua becomes part of the remnant of Israel. Now this is balked against for multiple reasons. First of all, my dad tries to stay away from the term Israel when it comes to believers. And the reason why is because there is, there's a temporal Israel, which is the nation, the nation of Israel on this earth today. As we can look at Israel, the nation of Israel, they're a non-believing nation, right? And so you don't gain citizenship in, in Israel and have, you know, rights to the, you know, to the nation of Israel. That's not, that's not it. Um, and I think Paul talks directly about this in, so, so my, so let's back up just a little bit. My, my dad is going to say, my father is going to say that the, that, uh, the root is the Abrahamic covenant. So as Gentiles, when we attach ourselves to the Messiah, 
we are, we're heirs to the promise. And what's the promise? The promise is in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, which means that we have, we have a, a piece of that. Now, all of a sudden that's become part, we're part of it. Now that doesn't mean to become Jewish either. I, you can't become Jewish any more than I can become it- Italian. It doesn't work like that. Now, one of the things that I can do is I can go to Italy and I might be able to get citizenship status. And if I do that, do I become part of it, like Italy? Well, I'm not, I'm not an Italian, but I do gain status there. And I think that that's what's going on. Well, okay, wait, so again, this is why we have to be clear on purpose. Technically, someone can. I mean, there are pathways for a person to convert to Judaism. Sure. Right? With That are, uh, you know, from the territory guarded by the rabbis, right? So if you go to the Orthodox and, you know, you jump through all the hoops that they tell you to, you, you might have a chance of, uh, you know, pay the money and, and, and sometimes deny Yeshua, you know, whatever, whatever right. obstacle course they have. And on the other side of that, there could be, in this worldly terms, a path for you to make then Aliyah and to go live in Israel. And, and from that day on, you're, they're going to say, Oh yeah, you're Jewish. Right. And you live in Israel. Okay. So, and, uh, so that's its own reward. You see what I mean? I, I mean the, 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 but that's not coextensive with God's perspective on, exactly. on, on, on what, uh, of who the elect are, of of the terms of the Abrahamic covenant, and in God's eyes, like who rec- who is reckoned as righteous in God's eyes, and so that's ultimately what matters, in, right? In terms of eternity, is right. who is who is reckoned as righteous before we, the holy and just Creator of heaven and earth. We see this. We see this in the prophecies, right? How do we see it in the prophecies? Because in the in the end, what happens? All the nations, Jew and Gentile, come. Every tongue will confess, right? So it's not just Jews. In other words, if everybody that believes becomes Jewish or becomes a Jew, then it's not all the nations, it's all the Jews. Right. And so in and that's what I mean when I say you can't become Jewish. We we're still Gentiles, but we're meaning of the nations, right? We're still part, all the nations will come and bow down. And, but we become, you know, and this goes back to the Abrahamic covenant in your seed, all the nations of the earth will, will be blessed. And so Paul in Romans 11, he talks about the remnant of Israel, right? Where is that? It's in what? Verse four, five, something like that. Yeah. In, in verse five. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would be uh, would no longer be grace. So, what is this remnant? My point is is that the remnant of Israel, and and Paul talks about this also. We we gain uh, we become part of the commonwealth, right? So I believe that I believe in what's called enlargement theology, and that's what this is what this show has been titled. What is enlargement theology? In my view, the remnant of Israel is added to by those who come to faith in the Messiah Yeshua. Right? He and and in Romans 11 he talks about Abraham being the father of, you know, a multitude. I'm, I'm, yeah, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. So there the remnant is added to. Now, once again, my father in his commentary, he's going to try to stay away from the idea that we become Israel. But I think ultimately, if pressed on it, yes, we become part of the remnant of Israel. We we gain part of the we become part of the Commonwealth. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, the the purpose back to scripture, lest we take away from Paul something he's not writing. In Romans nine, ten, eleven, we have to remember the context of his argument is. I need to equip, I'm going I'm to share with the Romans, because remember, he hasn't been to Rome yet. I want to share with the believers in Rome. I want to help equip them through writing, because I'm not physically there yet, although I want to be there, um, about an important issue confronting a, a reality that is confronting believing groups in the, in the diaspora communities where there are Jews 
uh, because, right, he says to the Jew first. So there's, on the one hand, he wants to encourage believers to, to, to take the gospel to Jew and to Gentile alike. And then he wants to also prepare them, similarly to Yeshua does, uh, pre- uh, prepares with the parable of the seed. You know, the seed falls on different kinds of ground. You get different kind of results. Paul wants to say, look, there's going to be times where you're going to find Jews that have rejected the gospel. They're going to reject you. And you're going to be then that moves that the conversation forward to like, what do I do now? I told them about Yeshua. I showed them the scriptures and they rejected me. They spit on me. They chased us out of town what do I do? Are, is God done with those people? And Paul's going to say, no, you have to guard your heart from hardening, a, even though you're going to experience some of that rejection, because you're not always going to experience rejection, right? But you're going to experience it, and you need to continue to lead with mercy and with faith. And Paul then puts himself as the prime example of Look, I myself was hostile, right? Right to believers. Yeah, and enemy. And God didn't write me off, right? And so Paul wants to equip uh, the Roman communities of believers, which are Jews and Gentiles together, in this mission of expanding the message of the kingdom. And so the tree picture in Romans eleven is one of the uh, teaching pedagogical kind of strategies that Paul wants to help equip believers. Remember that the point of the scriptures is to help us, to nourish us, to help equip us uh, spiritually and intellectually for the, for our mission here, what we're about to do. And the tree is a, is a parable for that and trying to encourage, right? Yes, they might be broken off, but uh, if they don't abide, if they don't remain in unbelief, God can bring them and graft them right back on. So it's not you to to say anything bad or to condemn, because we are called to be a blessing, not to curse, etc. Return a curse with blessing, return persecution with prayer, etc. Um, and so, Paul's point is not to tell us who is Israel. Right, in, in Romans 9, 10, 11. Right. He even says, not all Israel is Israel. And then he says, this: there's this a mystery, right? That What we are doing is we are, but he's going to affirm that, like in Galatians, if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. Right. And at right. The, I, someone in the chat room mentioned the end of in Galatians 6, it says, uh, shalom on the, the Israel of God. And so some scholars, you know, scholars will divide on that. Well, he just means no Israel apart from the church. Or some will say, no, he means God, who is Israel from God's perspective. And the point is this. There would be a point in time where Paul or Saul of Tarsus is brutally persecuting the ecclesia. And someone might have a picture of Israel in their imagination. Says, Paul's not part of it. Or Saul is not part of Israel. I'm part of Israel, but Saul's not. Right. Well, that's not the from God's perspective. Saul of Tarsus was a tr- was truly a, a, an elect covenant member, but his the timeline hadn't fully matured yet. And so, uh, anyway, I hope I'm hoping I feel like I'm all over the place here, but I'm hoping this is helpful that we need to get into again the the close context, the purpose of the of the writing, the purpose that the scriptures are preserved for us, and. And in a way, I guess one way I'd put it is that who is Israel is an open-ended question on the human side, but it's it's not on God's side. Right. And faith, walking by faith and leading with mercy, rather than trying to create our little clubs of who is Israel and who isn't, um, only by uh, the long-suffering, you know, demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, etc., it will be revealed. Hearts will be revealed, you know, over time. Just like there could be someone who you think is, you know, uh, part of the ecclesia, and they do all the things that that everybody else does, and then all of a sudden, boom, they flake off, and it's like, wow, you know. So they say, oh, he was saved, but now he's not saved, or she was saved, and now she's not saved. 
Or no, it's just over the trials of time, hearts, God exposes the hearts. Right. And, and this is a, this is a big mystery to us. And so our, our job is to, is to stay on mission, persevere, let God be God. And, and we seek to be good stewards and make disciples and make, yeah. Um, okay. So there's been, there's been some conversation in the chat room and I suppose I should address it. Some people are asking why, uh, well, so one person said, do you wear a keeper when you go to these churches? And my response was, no, I don't wear a keeper ever anymore. So I, I took my keeper off. Oh, I'd say what? He hung up his keeper. I hung up my keeper a long time ago, probably last May, um, sometime around that, maybe even last April. So the reason why is because this came out of my study of of uh, Jewish Christian relations, and um, I suppose I should should uh, address it now so that everybody kind of understands. What I realize is that rabbinic Judaism was just as much a product of the later times after Yeshua as Christianity was. So in other words, as you start to have the rise of Christianity into what people would start to see the formation of the quote unquote Catholic church, as opposed to the universal church, I, I can explain that if people need me to. Um, at the same time, you have what something being birthed, which is new. And that new thing is called rabbinic Judaism. And we start to see this in things like the Mishnah and the Talmud, and, and it forms into this thing that was not around in the first century, and uh, maybe pieces of it were. And we could say that about Christianity, too. Um, but basically, Messianic, or I'm sorry, not Messianic, Rabbinic Judaism, rather, um, was birthed out of the destruction of the temple and out of the, uh, out of the first century into the second, third, fourth, so on. Um, and so as I studied more about rabbinic Judaism and kind of not only what rabbinic Judaism believes, but also some of the things that rabbinic Judaism has now adopted in much later times. So for instance, the kippah is, is much later and I don't have anything wrong with anyone wearing a kippah. If you want to wear a kippah, that's, that's totally fine. But the reason I was wearing a kippah was mainly for evangelical purposes and when I, evangelism purposes. And what I mean by that is I wanted to start conversations with people and have conversations about what I believed. What I realized is that that sole purpose of wearing a kippah uh, was I was actually going against what I was trying to do because as soon as a Jewish person who was religiously Jewish of rabbinic Judaism realized that I was a believer, it stopped all conversation. They thought I was deceitful and that I was trying to pull one over on everyone. So that didn't work. When Christians found out uh, that I was uh, was a believer, uh, a lot of the time the conversation just kind of, they had a preconceived notion of what Messianic or Hebrew roots was, and that stopped pretty much conversation right there in and of itself as well. Um, so once that reason for me wearing a kippah was gone, I realized I didn't want to associate myself with rabbinic Judaism. Now, once again, that has this is not a dig on anyone who wears a kippah, but I don't want to be associated with rabbinic Judaism any more than I want to be associated with the Catholic Church. I think that rabbinic Judaism has a lot of Kabbalistic uh, belief that has seeped into it. I believe that uh, Kabbalist, uh, Kabbalism is not only wrong, I believe it comes from a dark place. Um, I believe that the theology of rabbinic Judaism is off, and I believe that rabbinic Judaism as a whole has rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So I don't. So there was no reason for me anymore to continue to wear a kippah and try to associate with rabbinic Judaism when I want to reject rabbinic Judaism. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to reject everything, obviously. I still tie my tzitzit in a, in a specific way. There, I'm not saying that Judaism hasn't given us things that are very important, and they have, right? Uh, I still light Shabbat candles, and I still say a lot of the traditional prayers. But on the flip side, I also um, I also have a common book of prayer, and I and I use the common book of prayer often now. So, I mean, I'm not saying that we can't gain things from Judaism, but I don't want people to look at me and say, ah, he's 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 rabbinic Judaism. And because of that, I don't find any... Now, I've had some pushback from people saying, well, I wear a kippah because it reminds me that God is above me. Well, I that's fine if that's why you wear a kippah. But the point is, is if that was 
honestly the case, I think that more people would just wear hats. The reason that they wear a kippah is because it is associated with a specific religious affiliation. In other words, you wear a kippah because it's affiliated with Judaism. You don't, it, if it wasn't Judaism, then you wouldn't wear a kippah. You'd just wear a hat. So, I mean, I, and once again, I, I want to stress the point. I don't care if anybody else wants to wear a kippah. I think that's great. My father, who is the president of Torah Resource, he wears a kippah all the time. He doesn't wear a hat. He wears a kippah. I, I think that's great. He, he has his reasons for doing that, and that's totally fine. I personally just don't want to be associated with rabbinic Judaism, and therefore I took mine off. I hope that that answers the question. And I don't plan on putting one on anytime soon. I would, I would just assume put on, and I've worn hats. I mean, most of the time I wear hats. I have a, a nice hat collection. I wear a very specific hat, and uh, I have one from Ireland, so... <laughs> did we okay remind me was was there a show topic where we were going to talk about uh the temple and the body mm. or yeah, was it that it's this one I, here you want to go to it no i was wondering because i know that we're we're like at an hour and we i i'm feeling a little i'm like man i can't remember if we were supposed to talk about this or maybe that was for next week well, uh, our buddy Robbie uh, wrote in and asked a question about um, the temple and the temple of the body. Should we? You want to hit it now? Let's yeah. Do what it. was the question? Okay. Here's here's his uh, here's his email. Uh, the idea that there is no longer a need for the temple because our bodies are now God's temple. We both know that our bodies in no way take the place of the temple, the building, or the structure. The scripture stating that our bodies are the temple of God must be a figure of speech. But what would be a good way to explain this to someone? My personal belief is that, yes, the spirit indwells us, but there is a need for and there will be a final temple, a building or a structure during Yeshua's thousand-year reign. And after the thousand year, years are up, somehow we transition from this temporal world to a new eternal world, the world to come, where Yeshua is the eternal temple. Any insights would be much appreciated. So I agree. So interestingly, I'm going through Acts right now. I'm writing on Acts. Um, and it's interesting to me that even after the Shavuot experience, right, the Pentecost experience in Acts 2, that whole thing, Luke wraps up that whole story with, they were continuing every day, you know, and they're in the temple Every day, right? It's 2.46. Acts 2.46. He talks about the temple and how the believers were uh, in the temple every day. And then, end scene, and he starts Acts 3 with Peter and John going up to the temple at the ninth hour, right? Verse 1 of 3. Well, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. and it's the, it's the, the afternoon sacrifice. They're going up to participate in the afternoon sacrifice at the temple. But just before this, Peter has given this wonderful exposition, and he does it again in three, right? He's got these two speeches back to back, and they, they have similarities in both of them. He's, he's speaking to uh, people who seem to be native-born Israelites living in and around Judea, and he calls them men of Israel, right? And it's, it's obviously the specific group. He accuses both the groups of handing Yeshua over to the authorities and crucifying the Lord, right? His theology is certainly on point. He uses he uses the prophecies of Joel and David in, in Acts 2 to, uh, to show that Yeshua is, in fact, the Messiah. So his theology is on point. Why, if his theology is so on point, is Peter continuing to go and participate in, sacri in the sacrificial system? Certainly he knows that the Holy Spirit indwells. He was there at Pentecost and became indwelled with the Holy Spirit himself. Right? And he's the one who defends it to everyone. So uh, I think there's a lot of ways to look at this. But my personal, the, the way that I personally handle this is to simply, because everyone's going to, most uh, modern Christians today are going to turn to Hebrews. Right? It's not that these, this is just a shadow and certain things are passing away, so on and so forth. But even with this being the case, 
there's still a need for the earthly temple, even if it's just temporal cleanliness. In other words, the picture and the shadow that's here on earth is that God will dwell with his people. But we have to be cleansed from death in order to be able to, you know, in other words, we have to be released from death to even enter that space. That picture still applies here today. In other words, obviously, we the, the cleanliness is, is kind of a moot point at this, at this juncture in time because there is no temple. But if the temple were built again and sacrifices were done again, there would be space that would be clean and space that would be unclean. And the way that we would... We'd have to follow the rules to become clean in the eyes of God to be able to enter into that temporal space that is clean. So just for that reason alone, there still is a, a need for the temple. There's still a need for ritual purity within the temporal world. Now, I think that all of it, and I, I think everyone uh, would, would probably uh, agree with me, that... Obviously, the sacrificial system is a picture of what Yeshua did on the cross. It was a picture of what he was going to do, and now it's a picture of what he, it will be a picture of what he did do. I don't think that there's, a, you know, uh, Rob has said before that he believes that there's going to be a fourth temple, because there's already been three. Um, oh, <laughs> that was but, more of a, probably a snarky comment. But the but the point is... Because I see Herod's temple is not, is a complete... Uh, is really a new temple with respect to the Persian period, second temple. Anyway. So anyway, I, I think that there is going to be a, 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 another temple. I think that we see this extremely clearly within scripture. And I, I, I think it's very difficult to get around the fact that Ezekiel talks not only about another temple, but he talks about the, he talks about sin sacrifice being made there. Does that, and I'm reading a really good book on 1 Corinthians right now, and the author, she says, Paul in no way thinks that the, that the, uh, the sacrifice that, the, that uh, Yeshua made, he's, he's using this sacrificial language, but in no way replaces the actual temple service. He can use a metaphor and still believe both, and I, and I totally agree. Um, yeah, one, one thing that... Again, back to context, where do we see this language of, of our bodies are a temple? We see it, Yeshua, when he says, destroy this temple, in three days I will build it up. Um, and John's telling us this, and then the immediate audience hears him to be talking about Herod's temple. And they're saying, it took 46 years to build this, you know. Da, da, da. And then later, after the resurrection, the disciples remembered the words. This is John telling us that Jesus said something and it was the disciples didn't know what to do with it. And the other people, and only after the resurrection did they go back and go, Oh, we understand he was talking about his body. Right. Okay. And then Paul in both in Romans 12 and in first Corinthians 12 and in elsewhere too, first, I think first Corinthians six, you get the language of being the body of the Holy spirit. But the idea of what is this or the temple of the Holy spirit with being like our body or that our body is a temple. To me, this is part of that education that we get, learning to think in term, learning to think corporately. Paul, again, back in the, the Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, talks about many members but one body, right? And so we are supposed to see, it's learning to look at the world according to the curriculum that the Holy Spirit has for us, right? To understand that because I don't physically see the, the temple, right? I can still understand how my body works, right? I can understand that uh, cleanliness, like you're talking about, body cleanliness, right? watching what comes out of my mouth. Is, do I, am I true to the psalm that says his praise is always on my lips? Or am I like James, person that James describes, where I'll, I'll curse one moment and then I'll bless another moment, right? And the stuff Yeshua teaches us, this comes out of our heart, what stuff we've stored up in our heart. Right. And and so this idea of is there is the temple defiled or is the temple pure and holy? Is it a vessel for purity and holiness? And that this applies to our physical makeup in the image of God on one hand. And and using that as a core lesson point 
does not remove the fact of the physical place of corporate worship that you were talking about, Caleb. Um, but ultimately, in the in the grand scheme of things, they will cohere. Right. Our understanding of just like Caleb, you and I, you know, I can think of it as in terms of my own body, and then I can think of as a corporate body of believers how we collectively, you know, not one member that, you know, the ear doesn't say to the eye, you know, you're useless right, or anything right. like that. But we're supposed to understand that there is a purity and holiness and order and good design by God here for, for his purposes. And that somehow that ultimately will map and cohere with a f- actual physical place of worship in physical Jerusalem, which is not our choice. That's that God chose to, you know, chose that place right. forever. And so um, I think that that coherence will ultimately be evident to those who are, uh, you know, to the elect and they will see it and they will, they will rejoice in it. But on the flip side, in the meantime, if like, you know, they at Hanukkah, there was this little, they had this little ramp with a little altar of burnt offering. Did you see that? And they're like, yes, doing, yes. you know, is this worship, is this really what worship of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob looks like? Is some look like a, a Hasidic guy dressed in black with a microphone telling, you know, a parent, a Levite who's dressed in linen going up and, and the guy, it's like, it's like, oh my goodness. Do they imagine that they're worshiping the creator right now? No, this is public display. It was, it, it, it was a, anyway, so these guys, according to their worldview, this is why I, I tell Christians and Messianics, do not support the Temple Institute. Do not, don't support them. Why, why don't, you know, don't give them your money. You're going to get so <laughs> many emails but, for that. What's that? You're going to get so many emails for that. Hey, you know. Okay, we got to we got to get going. Sorry, uh, I wa- I want to do I want to we're going to try to do a Messiah Matters more video for our mm. supporters here probably either today or tomorrow and so keep your eyes open for that. Uh, we sure appreciate everybody who supports us. Welcome to 2019 everybody. It looks like we've we've had a lot of uh, good conversation. Things that we can address next week as well. Um, but a lot of good conversation in the chat room so we appreciate everybody being with us. And yeah, we will uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much. We hope that this conversation is in one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. 